Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping. This is episode 64. We now have Z-Buffering, Jackson. How do you feel about that? I love mode 7. That's the wrong console. <laughs> I'm your host, M. With me is regular co-host Jackson. Say hello, Jackson. Hello. And we are here to talk about video games. It feels, as always, like it's been 17 years since we last recorded one of these. I Yeah, I, what is what even is um, video games? In the last video game, I think Coheed murdered his children. Nope, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, you know, let's uh, let's do a little catch up. So E three happened. That's why it feels like it's been a oh, year, right? Right. Of course. That the thing that you go through that makes it feel like you've spent a whole decade looking at video games. Um, and then our Patreon has launched and has been pretty successful. Uh, let you want to talk a little bit about how our Patreon's going? Our Patreon's going uh, kind of well. Uh, we launched it. About uh, just uh, under a month ago, just over a month ago, maybe. Uh, and uh, we've done well enough to bring back Goof Zone, one of our shows on the network. It's it's cool. Uh, we moved everything over to Squarespace recently in order to like come, you know, make it a thing that we could actually like pay for with a budget. Uh, because originally we had a bunch of different shows on different hosts, and we wanted to consolidate it and bring it all into one thing and put it under a Patreon, and it's uh, it's doing well. It's mostly self-sufficient now. We might have like a little bit left over that we can put in a like a fund that will slowly grow for like emergencies. But it's it's uh, it's paying for hosting, uh, which is very helpful. Yeah, uh, we've been writing letters. We're writing about video games usually. Like it's, it can be about anything, but I feel like usually it's about video games. Usually it's about video games. Sometimes it's about complaining about something that we saw on the internet. Yep. Uh, if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. And uh, for $5, that's kind of the like tier that we assume most people would want. You get our letters and uh, you get to suggest games to play or uh, Star Trek episodes to watch for our Star Trek show or topics to talk about for Goof Zone or whatever. If you're a big spender, $10 uh, every six months, you could be on one of our shows. Uh, that's We're going to have like... Probably around the end of the year, we're going to have the first couple of those people coming on. We are. That's going to be fun. We'll have to figure out how that's ever going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there's a lot of figuring out to do. Because we're, we're, we're way more busy now, which is cool, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. This will be the first podcast also that launches simultaneously on YouTube. That's true. That is another goal we reached. We are yep. putting podcasts out on YouTube. Yep. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, congrats. You're probably 14. Uh Everyone else, if you want to, you can go to YouTube and uh, watch. I don't. I don't. I don't get. I know people watch podcasts on YouTube, but I don't get it. I've never gotten it. I. I mean, I get it if there's like a video component. Lots of people record with their webcams up. We will never do that. I Sorry guess. I guess like if you wanted to like pull a specific clip from a podcast you like, it's much easier to do it with a YouTube like timestamp. Yep. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Um. And I can we'll see have... a version of this podcast where we like if we had like enough money to pay someone to do it we could like put specific clips alongside the game on youtube but i don't actually ever want that i don't think that's worth paying someone to do no that's my point but like i can see things you would do like you could put like visual aids and you know back when itunes could do this you could like program specific images to pop up on the screen of your ipod nano or whatever yeah and i hated every podcast that did that (laughs) Yeah, no, but there are things you could do. I'm not saying we will do them because we won't, but there, there, I don't know. There are things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So check out the Patreon. There's good stuff going up there. Uh, when we announce our game club game for next month, uh, it'll be 
a game that was voted on by all of our patrons because uh, we allow people to vote for games now and that's exciting there will be instances that we will not allow that like in october we're probably doing final fantasy 10 uh come hell or high water so yep. stuff like that there are some um, things that need very specific planning around like how long they're going to take in our lives but in general if there's just a month uh like whenever there's a decision to be made we will throw it over to you Final Fantasy X is a 70-hour game, so we got to plan that around that. Oh, I probably should start it now, shouldn't I? Shit. <laughs> I probably wouldn't start it now, but you should start it before you go back to school, probably. Yeah, no. <sighs> RPGs. Yeah, that's why we're only doing two this year. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, right. I guess there's today's episode. <laughs> Doesn't count. Doesn't about? count. Doesn't count. This game was 19 hours and I was out. Does not count. That's only because we cheated. Because we're dirty cheaters. Whatever. If I could cheat in 10. No, I actually want to play 10. Uh, no, because we could. We could easily turn a button on that's a mod that turns off random encounters and gives us like 19 hours. I mean, you could. Play I'm playing this on my PS4. Sure, but I'm saying it's totally a possible thing if you want to make Final Fantasy 10 that game. I did that with 9. Yep. Jackson. Yes. What have you been playing the past Fuck month? off. Oh, I've been playing KOTOR because that's the game we're doing and not much else. Like, I've uh, started Metro 2033, which is a really cool game that I like quite a bit. Um, It's got really nice spaces. You've I been playing... You play games when we're talking on Skype. What, what were you playing recently? There's something. What? Like, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain? I'm not oh, under right. any circumstances <laughs> talking about that. <laughs> Damn it, right. That's right. You just play Metal Gear. You're the Metal Gear person. I've played some... I consistently load up Castlevania 1 and get to, like, the third world and then die to the flea men because that's the only game that I play, like, an actual old game. Uh, I played some Super Mario World for about half an hour, tried to do some Star Road, and then died. You know, just poking at stuff, load up emulators. I played the, the first 40 minutes of... Okay, I guess, I guess I'm just going to call everyone out from 2011. Driver San Francisco is a piece of shit made by people who do not... I'm, that's rude. I'm not going to say that. Made bad. It's a bad game. I hate it. I'm not, no, no insults on the people who made it, though. That's, that's very rude of me. But it is bad. and I, It made me think about how a lot of games of that era are like games that got praise because they were interesting by the standards of big games at the time which in 2017 when you can just go on steam and buy something from like 10 different spheres and the conversation of games isn't dominated as much by what ubisoft put out this month uh it's it's like it makes it seem like so quaint and kind of like why how would was this like a thing that was accepted as interesting because it has one cool idea but it sucks to drive the driving sucks in the driving game that is the end all be all it sucks which is a shame but that's, no, that, that's, that is a shame that's my take, that's my, take. It's my drive at san francisco take that's I, it that's all you're getting that's fine i've been playing hollow knight which uh, is a game that came out uh, in February. It's a new game, a game from 2017 by Team Cherry. Uh, I picked this up because I'd been kind of jonesing for a Metroidvania-style game, and uh, I remember watching the quick look and being like, that game seems really cute. And uh, it's very, very good. It's on the Steam sale, which will still be going when this episode goes up. I highly recommend picking it up for like $9. You are a little, like, bug ghost guy in this, like, hand animated bug world it's like a 2d you know just a metroidvania um and you're going through these like 
fallen kingdoms to figure out. Well, I don't even think you're figuring out. You're basically just purging the evil from the depths of all those horrible spaces. And uh, it's a really good game. I like it a lot. It's got beautiful music. And it does really interesting things with the combat system where, like, attacking enemies charges your magic meter. And you use the magic meter to heal yourself. Because uh, you can only take, like, maybe, like, five hits. And it, your magic meter can restore, like, up to three. And so every time you attack, you get a little more magic and you use that to heal. So you're constantly, like cost-benefit analysis of whether or not you can kill this enemy to recharge enough without losing more health than you would get from mm -hmm. uh, attacking it. And it makes traversal through like spaces you've been through before actually still interesting because you get the abilities to recharge and enemies can be actually dangerous um, because every fight is still like a complicated thing because you can't take that many hits. It's not like it's not like uh, like Metroid or Castlevania where by the end of the game you have like a bajillion hit points and nothing really affects you. You just walk through them. Uh, it is definitely not that. It's a much more careful game about stuff. That's a like that's a really cool mechanic to like solve that problem of how you still have the feeling of like progression through spaces and through your own abilities yeah. while still making the whole world feel like something that uh you have to interact with and deal with carefully yeah there That's are cool. environments that i've like completed that when i have to go through again to like find a secret because i have a new ability are still like oh this place is dangerous i need to be careful and that's like great feeling because i feel like most games of this genre don't really have that uh, when yeah. you have like 15 energy tanks of samus you don't give a fuck about anything you do not you absolutely don't give a fuck uh so that's what i've been playing that's kind of it um Quick update on things you could watch on our YouTube channel. You know, just go to YouTube, type in abnormal mapping. I finished Shovel Knight, and Jackson, you're probably already started Mega Man by the time this episode goes up. I don't know what you're talking about. Mega Man Six, the last Mega Man. Your Honor, I have no recollection of this <laughs> occurring. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be playing um, uh, Mega Man Six starting on Monday, which will be the Monday before this podcast comes out. So there'll probably be a few episodes already up. Yeah. We'll see how far I'm getting. Yeah, uh, I mean, my Shovel Knight thing fine. went really well. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'm like super like ugh about it, but Mega Man's great, and I haven't played a Mega Man since I finished the last one. Shovel Knight took you a while, so yeah. I had to, I'll, I had I'll to break I had to break my goal of not using checkpoints to finish Shovel Knight. Yep, I'll start playing it and be like, oh right, Mega Man, Mega Man. I remember six being a pretty easy game. You remember all of them being an easy game? No, like one's really hard, three's really hard. Did they take out the boss rush? No, it's Mega Man. Look, I understand it has to be there, but it doesn't mean that every time I get to the boss rush, I'm not going to feel like my spirit has been crushed. The, the thing you need to remember is that you have like five energy tanks that you never use. You always get to Wily and still have five that you've never burned. <laughs> Why would I break tradition now? <laughs> I've come this far. Nope. So uh, I'm also playing Life is Strange. Please check that out. Uh, that's a great way to experience that game because, I don't know, I feel like it's like a, a cool game people like. But if you haven't played it now, you probably never will. So why not just watch me play it and talk about it? I watched you play it for an episode and fucking hated every single person in that game. But I am oh, you, sure... You really should watch more because there's really interesting stuff in that game. Yeah, because it, it's the thing with that game is that, like, what everyone said when it came out was there was a divide between people who could get past the, like weird tone of uh teens written by 40 year olds in france yeah uh and people who couldn't 
And I'm told that once you get, like, break that and, like, get through the first episode, there's a lot more interesting stuff there. Because the, the game definitely starts on its most deliberately, on-purpose, insufferable characters. So, yeah, <laughs> the fucking teacher. I hate him so much. Oh, he's so bad. Oh, but you're meant to. But also, it, it doesn't mean that makes me enjoy listening to him talk anymore. Well, he's in episode two for about three minutes. And the plot has regressed to the point where, like... There's a minute where you can be like, throw him under the bus, but I was like more concerned with 17 other things and wouldn't even consider throwing him under the bus. And that's where the game is at. So, okay, that's th- cool. like, fuck that guy. He doesn't matter. Thank God. I, I was assuming there was going to be some fucking awful like plot about him and the cool girls sleeping with each other. I feel like that's kind of around the edges, but I don't know if that's like a real thing that's happening in this game. The game is yeah. much more concerned with the weird butterfly effect mechanics of time travel. Okay, cool. Because, yeah, that hadn't got, like, been super introduced by the time I stopped watching. So I'm glad to hear that if you can break through that wall, there is cool stuff awaiting you. Yep. I mean, sometimes people say things that are, like, thuddingly awful. No teen or adult would ever say. I don't know why people write dialogue like this, but it's still Yeah, right. but sometimes they say Final Fantasy The Spirit's Within and you cheer. <laughs> That's what's been going on. Uh, We're going to kick it to segment two. Jackson, do you want to tell people what you did for segment two? For segment two, we brought in a friend of the show, Heather Alexandra, again, to talk about uh, KOTOR 2, because uh, she has a different perspective on KOTOR 2 than us. Spoilers for our final segment, but uh, we have, like, mixed feelings on it as like a star wars game in 2017 that comes from like our perspective on that but uh so i talked to heather about like kotor 2's position in star wars and how she feels about it as someone who's more into it than than us because i feel like our star wars fan has some amount of uh some amount of irony to it um but uh so yeah it's a good conversation i recommend you listen to it because it's in this podcast and you've already started doing that so cut to that segments i'm a good host Hello, welcome back to segment two here. Uh, today we're doing a little little different thing. We have brought back friend of the show, uh, Heather Alexandra. Hello. Hi. Hello. To talk a bit about like different takes on KOTOR 2 because um, me and Em, we have uh, like similar experiences with the game, but I know you're a longtime fan of KOTOR 2 and have a different perspective in Star Wars and in, like, in general. So we want to talk a bit about that, put that in the yes. podcast. Yes, I do. I have a lot of Star Wars thoughts. I'm I'm a secret Star Wars mega fan, um, and I love KOTOR too. I think it's super super smart. But I I also acknowledge that it is rough around the edges in a lot of ways, and also a very mean game mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And yes. I think that can I think that can definitely turn off a lot of people. But I also think it has 
one of the most intelligent like approaches to the force has some like really great characters and there's there are just some scenes in that game that are great the whole judgment scene at the jedi enclave is one of my favorite scenes in any video game yeah same it's one of my favorite scenes in this game it's so good uh i guess my first like question uh was like one of the things we thought playing it was we don't feel like it's necessarily the most Star Warsy game, so I wanted to talk about like what what is Star Wars to you, and how does Code Two like fit into that vision? Because I know you're a, like a much bigger, more like I'm, I guess more earnest Star Wars fan than uh, me and M. We we find it very ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, to talk about that. I think Star Wars is ridiculous in general, but I also think that Star Wars is simple and that simplicity has a certain beauty to it so i think the star wars movies are great i like um i like broad stories i like stories with heroes and clearly delineated villains and good guys and things like that because i think every now and then we need those broader allegorical stories in order to kind of let loose or to have heroes that matter to us i think luke skywalker is actually a really amazing secular hero because the way that the way that he defeats the bad guys in that movie is he tosses down his sword that's how he wins and i think there's something really cool and really poetic to that so for me star wars is both this really cool really goofy terrible melange of like Star Wars wants to be nine different things because Lucas can't calm the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. It, wa- it you know, it wants to be Rashomon. It wants like it wants to be a ton of Kurosawa stuff, but it also wants to be Flash Gordon, but it also kind of wants to be something a little bit more progressive, something a little bit more like I don't know, Logan's Run or something. Like I have no clue like what Star Wars completely wants to be. But the result is that Star Wars actually just ends up being like a really pure morality tale, a very pure uh, fairy tale. And the nice thing about Star Wars is that you can you can execute a lot of different stories in the setting because there's very few hard rules to the setting of Star Wars. The Force can be what you want it to be in many ways, mm-hmm. which can be very interesting. You can have all sorts of different characters you can change your tone. You can have a deep military story about clone troopers, but then you can also have like a scene of two people at a bar. Like, I don't know. There's something about the setting that is very evocative to me. Um, I don't, I don't know what star Wars is to me or what I think makes something like quintessentially star Wars. I think that is very personal yeah. But I but but I do know that I've found a lot of value in Star Wars over the years in how it handles in how it handles morality. I think it's very, very interesting, at least in the right in the hands of the right writer. Um, people like Matt Stover, people like Chris Avalon, and then also like all the people who wrote on the movies besides besides lucas like you know (laughs) lucas has great vision he just doesn't have uh any concept of execution Mm -hmm. uh yeah i think i think you're definitely like uh onto something on um like star wars being this like palette of because of its weird genre influences you can like project a lot onto that like clone wars does a really good job of being like there's an episode of clone wars that is just we're gonna do godzilla now that's what we're doing yeah Uh, and it works it's so good uh 
so like you can like do a lot from that so yeah i wanted to talk about like so what did you think of kotor one did you play it first i assume um i don't recall so kotor one i think is a very good traditional star wars story Mm -hmm. in the sense that it hits all of the proper broad emotional beats of okay we are in a dire situation at first we are slowly ramping up there's some sort of twisty reveal we deal with that truth we integrate that truth into ourselves because star wars i will not ramble too much is very jungian in in a lot of ways uh, there's that whole scene on dagobah in empire strikes back where the idea is is that he chops off the head and it's him oh my goodness but it, it, that's luke should be integrating the shadow he should not be fighting it um and then i don't know there's a lot of stuff going there but uh the original kotor is is very traditional it's very much about a scrappy band of people going up against something bigger than themselves finding truths about themselves reconciling those truths i think it's really cool but i also i hate um what is it it's uh not telos is what the hell is the planet that gets shot the hell up by um by malgus right that planet i think it does begin with a t i said malgus too that's a character from older old republic i'm i'm yeah malak taris taris yeah i don't like that whole opening segment and i at least appreciate that in kotor 2 you can get through paragus pretty quick uh I i feel like the structure of kotor 2 compared to the first game is definitely like paragus is a much more involved opening dungeon but then the citadel is a much less involved opening story bit so it just you get through each segment in a more even fashion yeah kotor 2 doesn't really take off in the way this that i think it wants to until you meet atris for the first time no and then and then after that it's like great find the jedi masters do all kinds of stuff Um, jumping back to kotor 1 for one second i will say that one of the reasons i don't enjoy kotor 1 as much is because i don't find revan to be a particularly compelling character because revan is a slate in a way that the jedi exile isn't necessarily the exile has some very specific and very clear character traits and things that has happened to her and revan is very intentionally like spoiler alert your mind has been wiped so you get to play revan however the fuck you want and i i'm not a fan of that sort of uh rpg convention necessarily and i think kotor 2 sidesteps it a lot in a way that i appreciate uh, yeah i really like the the way you can define you can and also the the exile is defined to you like it's a very specific uh role-playing like character uh to, to the point that i would always say that I feel weird about how KOTOR 2 treats Revan as a character. Like, because when we had come off of KOTOR 1, we were both like, we, we saw like a hard split between pre-wipe Revan and then when you, like the, the slate of Revan, when you come in and control the player character. Uh, so like connecting those identities as just one person feels very strange in the context of what that first game does. And uh, also the, the KOTOR 2 presumes a lot of like, to set up an interesting story and to maybe kind of build towards a sequel that never really happens, KOTOR 2 presumes a lot on the part of Revan. Like, it is it is a very powerful statement for Kreia. Like, you ask Kreia and you go, like, what was Revan like after, like, the 
five billion influence checks you have to do to get Kraya to tell you fucking anything, right? <laughs> uh, and she goes, Revan was power. It was like looking into the heart of the Force. And that's a really bold thing to say about a previous protagonist. And the way that they set up Revan as this sort of tactical mastermind, when the truth is that when you look at Revan in the broader canon of Star Wars, almost nothing goes right for, for Revan. Like nothing ever goes right for Revan. He, except maybe like, okay, Mandalorian Wars go okay, but it turns out those are being manipulated in secret by Sith way out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And then he gets all jobbed out and then he has to, he beats Malak and you're like, good job, you beat Malak. And then all of a sudden he's like, I have to go out there. And then like later on, once Old Republic comes in, he goes out there and gets his ass fucking kicked. Like Revan does not have a, a, a story that necessarily lines up with what we what we are told about Revan in KOTOR 2. And I like Revan, the Revan that we learn about in KOTOR 2, but it, like, it, if you cared about broader canon back when broader canon meant anything, uh, the Revan that we were told about never really existed. It's very odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm deliberately trying to stay away from like Old Republic stuff because, uh, I mean, just in this discussion, because it sounds like they do not treat KOTOR 2's ideas with kind of reverence you would want uh, they don't they don't but that game has some good individual stories so oh, alexander alexander freed wrote like the the imperial agent and that is actually probably my second no actually my third favorite piece of star wars fiction as, as cool. like a cohesive story so like there are there are things in there that are, that are good but the, it, that game is not particularly good to the exile mm -hmm. uh, but with how like it talks about Revan and what that ends up like doing in Kotor it, in Kotor two, it like builds up to this, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next segment as well. But it builds up this like metatextual reveal of the nature of, uh, like, the exile, and then backfeeding that into the nature of Revan of like RPG protagonists, uh, and what they do, like the whole thing about influence and controlling your party members. Oh gosh, the best. Hey, why are you gaining experience points? Let's make that an actual thing that makes sense within our fiction. It's a very bold decision and one of my favorite things about KOTOR uh, 2. Uh, so, so how do you, like, I guess we'll get back to like, the thing I was asking like ages ago. Um, all these like complex ideas and like the game is ultimately deconstructing both the idea of RPGs in that Bioware mold and also the idea of like the force as it exists in Star Wars media. Uh, what is your take on how it does both of those things as someone who's like really into uh, its aims and how it approaches them? I think that in setting off to be a game that eviscerates commonly held perceptions about how like the internal logic of the Star Wars setting and universe works, it actually ends up being one of the most honest and interesting pieces of Star Wars fiction. So let's use the Force for an example. In many ways, Kreia is, I mean, not even in many ways, Kreia is a, a huge mouthpiece for, for Chris to talk about how he does not care for many concepts uh, with the Force. And he's talked about this in all sorts of presentations. If people are listening to this, there's one that you can listen to. Uh, just type in Chris Avalon, design Aikido into youtube you'll find a very interesting presentation and he hates things like the concept of prophecy and pre predetermination and the the concept that there is this external force that can if it wanted to presumably 
kind of equalize and take care of a lot of different things and instead kind of opts for perpetual conflict. And that's an interesting thesis because eventually looking at broader Star Wars media, the idea that pops up, at least in the fiction that really tries to tackle the force in an interesting way is isn't that the force is like this external god thing that can do whatever it wants is that is the idea is that the force is generated by the actions and deeds and moods and feelings of individuals right there's not some big magical boogeyman out there compelling people to conflict or making them do bad things the force is a reflection of of like what you are right and so i think in the end it's very interesting to me that when you look at Kreia and how much she hates the Force, and she truly, truly hates the Force, like she wants to destroy the Force, which is a very, it's a great, cool concept for a villain to do, to be like, I want to destroy the metaphysical underpinning of like all of the fabric of existence. That's a cool concept. She ends up being like completely wrong about it. And that's both really interesting, but also maybe a commentary on how, on how Chris Avalon approached some of this, right? His anger kind of maybe getting the best of him, but still in the process, KOTOR 2 becomes the most interesting examination of morality in the setting besides maybe, and I'm going to be a super Star Wars nerd, there's a there's a book in the New Jedi Order series called Traitor, and it's literally just Jason Solo and this other character called Vergeer going on really horrible extended philosophical adventures that involve like torture and a bunch of other stuff, but it ends up being a really good book too. I think the most complicated and controversial stories about star Wars tend to be the ones that don't accept the broader upper level idea that the force is just like this thing, but rather that the force is like an extension of who we are, which is far more interesting to me. Also this, we, we get Candorous in this game again, we which do. is good. We do. We get, we get a, the nice thing about KOTOR 2 is that it's like set just far enough in the future that we get to see some interesting characters and how they might have progressed. So you get Candorous, you get Vrook, Lamar, the grumpy, grumpy Jedi, um, voiced by Ed Asner. Yeah. And, and to see characters progress too, I think one of the interesting things about KOTOR 2, and right, this is something that's clear with most sequels, but in KOTOR 2 it's really pronounced as what is the progression of these characters and how does living in the setting with these particular pressures reflect upon them and change them? And the answer is a ton. Yeah. Which is, which is really, really interesting to me. It feels like these characters are, have gone through some sort of crucible and have been squeezed of so much essence. And they are just these hard, solid people in a lot of ways. And that's, that's awesome. That's super cool. Uh, I think one of the things that Kotal 2 does really well um, is that it's like like it doesn't there isn't much talked about in how like a lot of the Kotal discussions because it's not like core to it, but it's really good at playing with expectations of what a sequel is because you start in the Ebonhawk or the Ebonhawk, sorry, you start in the Ebonhawk and you're like knocked out uh, and you're like taken into a station and you wake up and then there's this. Uh, blind jedi then you run into aton who's like this calf equivalent and like there's definitely a world like my head was like going okay wait am i revan and this is just old bastler are we like 30 years in the future what's happening yeah it's very strange and the way everything slowly like 
there aren't very many twists in this game. I think it's really cool how the twists are mostly when you... that nothing is a twist. Like even the twist that is oh, Kreia's the villain. You she tells know that, you. Cause... She tells you it. You're like, hey, what's your deal? And she's like, oh, I was a Sith and I was betrayed by my two apprentices. And you're like, what the fuck? And she's like, yeah, it was really rough. And then later on, she's like, I was also a Jedi who trained Revan. Like, th- like she has, a, like I said before, she has a ton of influence checks for very specific things that are very, very strict. But with other things, she just tells you. She just fucking tells you. It's great. She tells you a lot of like really specific stuff that ends up playing into the end game, and then like you're waiting for a big reveal about what Revan's doing or who the identity of Darth Nihilus is, and all that. They're just people. Like yeah. the... Darth Nihilus was just a dude. You can ask. You can ask Mira, like, because mm-hmm. like, she can grab the mask, and you're like, like, what do you see? Who is it? And you're just like, it's just a guy. Yep. Just and that's super sad. Also, the I'm rambling too much because I love this game. Fine. At the end, at the end, Kreia is like, perhaps you thought there was a twist, and she goes, there is no twist. She says it to you. It's it's fantastic. She's like, maybe you thought that there was like one crucial secret that would change everything, and she goes, there's not a secret. There's just you. Yeah, um, I think uh, one of my like biggest problems with the game is i think there's not as much um like you compare it to to planescape which was a chris avalon game or a game that uh, i don't know with like the team i feel bad about just like autoring this but that's fine it's it's but it is a it's a black isle game that chris avalon was a was party to yes Uh, and that game has like when it asks you those questions when you're doing things about like the nameless ones past when you like there's so much driving every single like interaction in the climax of that game whereas kotor 2 to me feels a little uh, just a little kind of empty like you just kind of beat the bad guy and like i know that's the point of it but um it feels like outside of the the purposeful deconstructions the story doesn't have as much going on to me and i I guess i wanted to like ask about where it fits into like the canon of the avalon's work and obsidian and the back isle stuff and those rpgs and where you'd like put it and how effective it is at dealing with these ideas it's tricky so one of the so you're right about the impact of kotor 2 in terms of like the raw impact like maybe in universe or other things of like how important are the events of kotor 2 and it's like it's kind of important but also not like there are bad guys and the bad guys died but the difference is uh if the exile wasn't there the jedi would be gone so that's that's your impact right but in terms of the broader things for rpgs there's not as much pressure or import on the player I think because, as you noted, of the desire to undercut and fundamentally disempower and deconstruct pretty much everything that's happening. Like, remember, like I always, I always think of this example a ton. The first time you meet Kreia, what, what's the first? Do you remember the first thing that she does? The first thing that she says to you? Doesn't she like berate you for? Yes. So you you are stealing as you would for in an RPG. You are looting corpses in the, in the med bay, and then she wakes up and she's like, "What are you doing?" Oh right, yes. Yeah, she's like, what, "You're just looking for shit among the dead," and that that feels like a very planescape moment to me. But then at the same time, 
whereas Planescape would have a broader continuum of potential reasons why you might be searching for something among the dead in in KOTOR 2 it that moment mostly exists to to kind of set up the idea that um there's not going to be the type of impactful things that happen except maybe in terms of like learning self-worth for yourself like as the exile the whole conceit of this game for a while is that oh my gosh the sith are gonna beat the crap out of us we have to go get these jedi masters and then you do and the jedi masters go oh no we were right the first time we're still gonna take the force away from you and then kreia comes and kills them or conceivably you do if you do a dark side run but a dark side run in this game feels weird but but the whole core conceit of the quest undercuts itself the minute that kreia comes in and and kills those people they're I think KOTOR 2 in many ways is a, is a is a story about disappointment and how we deal with it. But I also wonder how much of the ending is really f- fucked up because it got rushed for... They were like, we need to hit Christmas 04. And like that just botched everything. I think a bunch of it is that, but I think that there's... Like, you compare the the questions the ending is asking and the things it's dealing with, like, to Planescape or, like, one of the other games, and like an extra year wouldn't have changed the limitations on like placed on this game that it has to be about the game exists almost in oppositions to its to its premise it exists to subvert your ideas of the star wars uh, of your ideas like how the star wars universe works morally it exists to subvert your ideas of those rpgs with the morality systems um whereas i don't think a game like uh planescape exist to subvert anything it just kind of ex- like it is its own game um i guess i wanted to like because i assume well, you've played... i'm just gonna jump in though because oh, yeah. i don't know if that's necessarily true for planescape because there are a lot of things that are built into planescape that are deliberate oh that's true like in- inversions and so like here's here's the example like and this is something that avalon has mentioned before but here's a really easy to parse example of how that game is subverting dnd um there's two ways actually and they're both combat focused one you never get a sword unless you are lawful good and you get celestial fire, which I think you get from Trius. I might be wrong. You never get like an actual sword in that game, which was done intentionally. Mm-hmm. And then also cranium rats. Cranium rats are the complete, they are the complete opposite end of the spectrum of the rats that you normally slay in D&D adventures. In that, in a D&D adventure, you will go into the basement and you will kill 10 or 20 rats and it will be super easy. But if 10 or 20 cranial rats are around, they form some sort of giant super psychic bond and can kill you in one hit. So there are things in Planescape, at the very least, that are deliberately messing with that setting. I think the thing that we're probably settling on here or that you're and you can correct me if i'm wrong is that planescape has a planescape has more empathy i think overall uh it was kind of that i was building up to ask about like the games i haven't played like more of a white because i know like because uh like avalon worked on stuff in new vegas and uh alf protocol and i wanted to think like where does kotor sit in that kind of spectrum of games and like not just as a comparison to one point like uh i don't i don't know i just assumed that no. you would have more experience oh, with that. oh for sure sure so it's so it's, it's definitely a more staid type of game it mm-hmm. it uh it is kind of languid in in ways that are hard to explain um i don't necessarily consider fallout new vegas to really be an avalon game in the sense that that game is 
that game is Josh Sawyer. That game is Gonzalez. That's a lot of writers. Yeah. Chris wrote Cass, who's a great character, and, and a couple other things. But mm-hmm. that game is fundamentally shaped from other, other people. Alpha Protocol is is a game that focuses far more on like the impact of your individual choices. So if I compare Alpha Protocol to KOTOR 2, KOTOR 2 basically tells me that like very little of what I did, like very little that you do in KOTOR 2 matters on a macro level. It matters on an individual level, like entirely, right? But then Alpha Protocol is the opposite, where everything you do has some sort of wider macro consequence. People comment on everything that you do in that game. If you walk into a guy's office when you're like, oh, I'll meet him, and you're in like tactical st- like tactical gear, he'll be like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> good. It's a, it's a very good game cool um i guess my final thing to wrap up is uh so a lot of what is strange about playing this game in 2017 specifically is we've kind of come around to a place where like um wasteland 2 came out uh uh like pillars of eternity came out the ability to make an rpg in an a two like an isometric style has come back and so much of this era of rpgs to me is defined by the strange limitations of 3d space like you'll have a an actual real space and you'll walk to like a gathering of four people but the dialogue will treat it like the space is meant to be evocative of a larger city Mm -hmm. um and so everything just ends up feeling really small and limited in a way that just like it's these are kind of rpgs are very new at this scale and sort of design so i wanted to talk about how it was playing kotor 2 in 2004 against that backdrop because like in a backdrop where it's the sequel to kotor 1 and not it's another game from the people who worked on planescape in a long line of things like that puts kotor 2 in a much more like whoa like taking a back position like it, right. it's a crazy thing so i don't know if you played it at the time or i could speak to the reactions so i'm not sure um but i understand what you're saying in the sense that Locations like Terrace or Manon or even Korriban, those locations feel larger and evoke a broader sense of history that the locations in KOTOR lack. Like returning to Dantooine, you even just like straight up return to Dantooine in KOTOR 2 and it feels really limited in a way that it didn't in the first game because Dantooine is so much more alive in the first game. I think I'm, I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, I think KOTOR the first succeeds a lot because of how much it implies a larger, grander, epic sort of um, happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is a moment, this is a happening that is larger than you, um, but you you are also like the fulcrum upon which it, it functions. And then on the other hand, at kind of what you say. Um, I, I, I like the intimacy of KOTOR 2's spaces because their their implications towards larger scale fail, but that feels really fitting for me for a game that's so internal. When it comes to looking at it in 2004, th- the thing I remember most about playing KOTOR 2, honestly, to tell you the truth, back then, is that there was a way to... Because I, I played on Xbox. There was yes. a way... There was a way to make it so that you could like cast an action while also casting like a healing spell. 
and I use that to cheese my way through like a I ton, that a ton of um, a ton of the the Trace Academy when there's just like tons and tons of dudes, and you're just done with that bullshit. Yeah, Trace Trace Academy, you're you're just on Malcor. You're like, I just want to get through this. Like, we are so close. I want to talk to Kraya. I want to deal with Sion, and the stuff with Sion super cool. But you have to go through a bunch of bullshit. So I just remember like, there's some sort of way where you had to time. So I would use like Flurry or Master Flurry or whatever. There was a way that you could time that, and then you could also get a, key, a heal to go off, and that is that should tell you something about the quality of Kotor's combat in Kotor one or Kotor two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird system. Like I, I ended up not really engaging much of that at all because I don't have the like these games would be so long if I engage with all the combat systems. I don't. Uh... If you if you had to restart because you kept on dying in like the lake rake. T- cave or whatever like those bug dudes in in dantooine trying to get you know your personal exile crystal you'd you'd want to fucking throw the game in the trash bin it's yeah it's weird that's like a thing that playing this game and kotor one like now this seems oh god this takes forever this combat but i played a lot of kotor one on the uh on the xbox um when you know in about 2005 or something got it from the library and uh all the load times are about a minute long and it's just oh so so many ease of life stuff that has like come along in the time since i can't imagine nowadays going through the absolute hell gauntlet that is goto's yacht without oh. having boost without having boosted stats or something if there's one thing that these games do uh, get wrong is that their combat encounters are so wild goto's yacht sucks i hate that so much i hate goto goto is a smug little piece of shit he's a and it turns out he's not even a dude he's a robot which is a cool twist but also fuck goto oh is is that one of the influence i didn't do the influence check but is the influence check that he's just the robot not that he, he is, exists somewhere else he is just the robot he's not <laughs> that's a dude. cool that's good <laughs> he's just a he's just a robot who is very very good at math and is like i'm gonna use math to save the republic even if it's like i have to do bad stuff which is interesting um Especially because it, it's a really nice counter to, um, not to HK, but to, uh, what is it, T7? Which which T are we on? T3? T3, yes. T3. Yes. T7 is the one from Old Republic. Um, because, of course, you get your, your own little T-robot. Um, Goto is weird. Cool. Well, thank you very much for chatting about Kotor. Always good to have you on. Yeah, uh, I I could do this forever, and I and I I know I know that you were purposely like Heather. We need to we gotta stop. Uh, I just I just uh, I'm I'm never gonna say no to someone yelling about Star Wars to me. I just think about the listeners. I I, I know that we're huge nerds in a way that not all of you are. It's true. It's, it's true. true. Right. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? Where? Welcome to Plug Zone. <laughs> You can you can find me all all over the place, but mostly you can find me at Kotaku.com. Yes. You can also find me on Twitter at, at transgamerthink. And that's about it. I mostly just write on Kotaku now. I don't really use my personal blog all too much, unfortunately. Yep. So thank you very much. Yep. <laughs>
as you are no doubt already aware, our game club this week. Month. Month. This is a monthly owned, podcast. Owned, 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 hoisted. owned, fucking owned. You ho, ho, hoisted. <laughs> you always get cross at me for that, but it is your turn. <laughs> yeah, no, it's my turn. Oh, it's delicious. I love it. Our game club this month is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 The Sith Lords. Uh, before we get into this, I want to mention I have not listened to segment two yet, so... If I end up covering things Heather talked about or Jackson talked about, then my apologies. But uh, I was not able to be there for that recording. This game, which is all the context you probably should have had going into segment two, but someone... Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't, like, own yourself and then go... And then, like, recover by backwards owning me in the past. No, no, no. If if I'm going down, you're going down with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, KOTOR true? 2 is a game by Obsidian Entertainment. It came out December 6, 2004. Note, December 6 is too late in the year to be releasing video games. That is important to the history of this game. <laughs> uh, it came out for Windows and Xbox. Uh, did it come out? It didn't come out on Windows until February. Man, I didn't know that. That explains a whole lot. Uh, yes, this is an Xbox <laughs> game. Um, it is the sequel to KOTOR, which we covered in episode... Blah, 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 episode blah. 50, Jump Cut Genocide. Go oh, check it out. The episode that was almost the last episode of this podcast. <laughs> right. Yes, it had fucking lore, like we were some That Guy With The Glasses channel. <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> Um, is that the meanest thing I've ever said about us? Yes, one hundred percent. This game was uh, is was derided upon its release for being buggy and unfinished uh, because it came out in December sixth, which means they were trying to hit Christmas. Um, it was originally meant to come out in two thousand and five, and then they like were forced to bring it up for Christmas. Um, but has since become a cult classic in part because it is written by Chris Avalone who is a famous RPG writer. You know, you've you've uh, maybe seen me play New Vegas. We've talked about Planescape Tournament. Chris Avalon writes the games people care about. And this was Chris Avalon's take on Star Wars. So, Jackson, what is the plot of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 The Sith Lords? Uh, okay, so the plot of Knights of the Old Republic 2 The Sith Lords is actually a lot easier to explain than in the first one. If you remember that first podcast, I fucking flailed at this, but I'm going to just kick it out of the park. So, uh, you play as the Exile, who is a uh, Jedi who fought with Revan in the Mandalorian Wars and has since been removed from the Force uh, for mysterious reasons that you don't quite understand at the start of the game. Um, When the game begins, uh, you are being hunted by uh, the Sith Lords uh, and you are having to like fight back against them in what is kind of a shadow war like the sith lords are trying to take out all the jedi and kill all of them but it's not like a war like the uh, jedi civil war which was the plot of the first game was like they're just assassinating jedi they are trying to kill as much jedi as they can uh without um going into like open conflict no planets are being taken over so it's like a game about a quiet war and you have to figure out how to fight back against that and that's basically the whole plot of the game it's very plot light uh for as much of like an RPG it is, it's mostly like introspections on what that means and uh, interactions with characters. Did you want me to go into like the actual later plot or just the premise? Well, I, specifically the idea that you are trying to assemble the Jedi Order so they can tell you why they took away your Force powers because you were like stripped of your powers and kicked out into the galaxy after the war when you like held yourself to their like tribunal. At the end of the first planet, you are given like your quest to to gather the Jedi Masters together. And you find a recording of your uh, tribunal and they say like, oh, 
can she know about why we have done this we haven't done anything but this is like a bigger plan at work so there's like mysteries and then you do a bunch of stuff for 20 hours and then they tell you and then there's some end game stuff it's 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 a sparse plot uh both because it's sparse of its own design and also because of the kind of game it is but we'll get into that i think it's a good point to start the discussion okay so let's start with the actual kind of game it is because it's basically same engine as kotor it is a crpg uh you run around you get force points you get force powers you click on things you fight them until they explode rinse repeat until the end uh we both cheated our way through this much like we did the first game yes highly recommend you do that because playing this game seems intolerable yeah there's so much fighting you know, uh, I feel like the back half is not as, like, slog of combat like the end of KOTOR, because the end of KOTOR is an hour of constant fighting, and it's the worst thing in the entire world. Uh, the the game is just too small to really be that, but I don't know, I feel like the final dungeon um, is better, like, structured than the Star Forge at the end of KOTOR 1, but it totally could be that if you wanted it to be. Mm, the ship would have been that, not the not not uh, Malachor 5. Malachor 5 is too small for that. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. They've packed so many dudes into that academy. Mm, The academy is literally just like square rooms with each way you turn is a room of like six dudes. No, you're you're right. You're right. I forgot about the academy part. I mostly thought about like those like beast guys on the planet itself. Yeah, that's just the prelude. Yeah, and then no, there's you're like right. a stealth section where you have to avoid combat. As a dr- there's a lot of bullshit at the end of this game. It's still one of these games. Yeah, we cheated the hell out of this game, so we're fine. Yeah. Um, so the plot-wise, the thing this game is well known for is its writing, um, which is weird because the game is a shambling mess that misunderstands a lot of what makes Star Wars good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, one of the things I don't know if you talk about this, Heather. One of the things people always say is like, "This is the game that's like about how the Jedi are actually bad and how this like under like." highlights how the force is like this problematic thing that people believe in and causes all sorts of bad like actions to be taken by people in its name blah 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 and the actual thing about this game is that you go around doing good or bad things and like the fucking like Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder is like the meanest lady just shouting nihilism at you about how how dare you do anything nice or evil to anyone because everything goes bad and you should just be totally neutral in all things and that's the only way to be. And it's it feels like the most juvenile like this is like me undermining philosophy of good and evil kind of thing and I think it's mostly really bad. Mm-hmm. I'm a little kinder to it than you. Um, I think the way in which it approaches like morality has like there are moments where it's really cool, but I think the way it uses Kreia, which is the the thing that is like pointed to as the cool part of this game, is mostly really bad. Um, specifically, this is all encapsulated in one scene that is in my research of looking on the internet for like videos and takes about why this game is cool, not from like people that we know and the critics, I mean like the general Star Wars fandom. And it always comes back to that one scene on Nashadar where you meet a beggar and the beggar goes, Oh, can I have some money? Cause I'm going to starve. And of course, cause you're playing a video game, you go, I've got infinite credits because I'm a video game protagonist. Here you go. So here you are five money. credits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here are five of my 9 billion credits and you give them the credits and they run off and Kreia's like, oh, how could you know that was the right thing to do? You don't know 
that that uh, like l- lifting him up will just bring envy from his other beggar friends and they will murder him for it. And you're like, I don't, you don't know that, Kraya. You're just talking out of your ass. You are just being nihilistic and bullshit. And then the game hard cuts <laughs> to a scene of that same beggar running through the square, getting murdered for having the money. And yeah, no. I was like, thanks, video game. This <laughs> is literally this is literally like the edgelord version of the opening of Final Fantasy VII, where the where Eris is like just flower girl and she's like, buy a flower for five for one gill. And like a potion's like three hundred gills, so you're like, Yeah, sure, I'll buy a flower, who cares? And like if she had been like mugged and murdered like three scenes later. <laughs> Yeah, it's super juvenile. It's super, like, needlessly gotcha. Like, the intent of that scene is, oh, you don't know what, uh, like, consequences your actions will have, and that's nuance. But what it actually does is go, like, no, you you made all these things up. This is the thing written by a person. Like, you can't tell me that's a consequence of the actions. You creating a situation in which nihilism is the only truth even if you like subvert that by the end of the game and go like, oh, actually nihilism's bad. Like it just feels lazy and it feels like compared to what we did in Planescape, compared to like our reactions to the way that game handles morality and like responses to things, uh, it just feels so juvenile and kind of empty. And I think that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so the main thrust of the game is you're given this task to assemble the, the remain the remnants of the Jedi Order, which is four Jedi Lords. So you get four planets to go to, and you visit them, much like Kotor One. <laughs> Unlike Kotor the One, four Jedi Lords. Whatever. <laughs> Jedi Masters, Sith Lords, Jedi Masters. Yes. No Lords, no Masters, only men. Fuck off. <laughs> Uh, and uh, like uh, KOTOR 1, you're going to all these planets, you can choose what order you go into. Unlike KOTOR 1, the planets, many of them seem completely unfinished, and only one of them is like actually detailed out with any length, and the rest are like three environments in a dungeon and you're out. Uh, uh, once again, this game was rushed to hit Christmas release, uh, it has a bunch of bugs, but it also just has like a, a very like scarcity of content. And I don't mean like games need to have a lot of stuff, it just... It's very unbalanced where you go to Narshada, like, is, like, rec- like I think recommended the first planet because you get most of your party members there. And it's this huge, sprawling city where there's, like, this bounty hunter, like, standoff where everyone's out to get you, but no one's ready to pull the trigger. Because once they do, the rest of the bounty hunters are going to swoop in and try to get you out from under them. Uh, so no one wants to do the hard work until things actually pop off and you're debating this, like, uh, the, what is it, the... Um, the uh, what's the what are the two factions there it's the what's the 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 one with the e the enclave it's not enclave what's the name of that the exchange the, the exchange right uh the exchange and um the enclave yes i know <laughs> the exchange Carry and on. who who are the other side it's the exchange and is it just the huts or are the huts the exchange um no it, the 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 one hut lord who's like wants to keep cuz he's the guy with the fuel there oh right 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 yes is it just um, the exchange in Goto then? Goto is the exchange. Right, right, right. Sorry. This has been like three weeks since I played this. It's just the exchange and basically everyone else. The exchange of right. like the criminal empire. Oh right. It's just it's just like the refugees in like yeah. the stacks. And there's like a, another gang there, but they don't have really yeah. anything to do outside of that area of Nashidar. But so it's this like really delicate like situation with a lot going on. And it's like it's basically like a mini campaign in and of itself. Yes. And then you go to like Dantooine or Onderon and it's like two streets and some decisions and a side quest and you're out. And that's it. You get like one character and you're and done. Like, 
and like a murder investigation that you just talk to like six people in a row and each one points you to the next one and there's le- very little like like it's cool but you're just running back and forth and going, okay I, we I solved it all right we're done like we spent a large portion of talking about kotor one talking about the murder investigation in that game which is like a quest that kind of doesn't hold together that's very messy and has like a bunch of different aspects and different ways to take it and we talked about like it exemplifies some of the failures of that game but it feels like a masterpiece compared to the abc like paint in the numbers version of a murder investigation in this game where you literally can only do the next thing on the quest and you have to do all of it and then this quest resolves and that's it like there's no options there's no nuance it's just a thing that you solve and then it's over like the failure of that first murder investigation which made me really like upset in that game like that had it comes because like quest like built in its design the potential to be something great which doesn't exist in this other quest which is just a very rote thing um and we spent a lot of time talking uh, as we were playing this game about how so much of this game's design and its disappointments feel uh, much like we said with Koto One, but I think it's way more obvious here. Feel born out of a misunderstanding, maybe, uh, but uh, definitely like a lack of experience and lack of like knowledge about how to build an RPG of this scale of this design. It is so clearly people coming off of working of isometric RPGs, off of like backgrounds that are still with really invocative, huge environments that you can just make and putting that kind of like writing and design into an actual world you have to build and everything feels so tiny like yeah. you get to a camp i know i talked about this a bit with heather but there's a there's a, there's a camp that you get to in um uh in in dantooine which is a the camp of all this is the uh what are they called the 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 salvages yeah uh, and the dialogue is like oh welcome to our salvager camp you can go talk to anyone else here and the dialogue frames it as if it is a, ca- a like an actual camp but and it's not six just... people standing around a fire <laughs> yeah it's six people standing around one fire off to the side of another building like the dialogue is evocative of spaces that you cannot see in the game because it uh would fit better in like a more abstract isometric rpg that can build these things with images and perspectives that you just can't do in a 3d world in 2004 like i and it's weird because they clearly had the ambition of what this kind of a third like 3d rpg could be like you look at the narshada like where the refugees are and it's like this crazy elaborate almost like a shooter map that's just like this maze of these uh containers that everyone's living in and all these doors and hidden passages and like there's like three entrances and uh, for no good reason and then you look at onderon and onderon is literally one street it's like a city from final Fantasy 13 it is absurd how <laughs> different the design is when they just didn't have any time or money to make a thing compared to like clearly the thing they made first and put all the money and time into yeah and the nashadar is like really cool uh as a as a small rpg uh, yeah and nashadar does like it really interesting things that no other part of the game even hints at where like you change perspectives of who you're playing as like you start as the exile and then like the exile is captured or knocked out and then you play as like your party members and then your party members split off and the droid has to go do a droid thing where uh, they're, uh, they're interacting with other droids and it's like a goofy comedy bit while like your right hand man the like Karth of this game is like off leading a party to go fight dudes and it feels like like the like middle part of like an Ocean's Eleven movie in a, yes. like a really evocative way that the rest of the game just does not it's not interested in doing or doesn't have the means to do, uh, and it just feels like it came out of like a different idea of what these kind of games could be than like the very player driven dialogue focused thing that the, these games are and that they like they re- immediately returns to. 
because the other limitation of this game um comes out of the bioware design format that basically existed all the way up through mass effect 3 uh which this game takes where you have your first quest and then you can go do anything and you can go do what, what you will it is up to you you the universe is yours and that is a terrible idea because it's a game that's trying to tell a story about these people who are coming to know each other and relate to each other and when you can go do these stories in any order it like the nothing impactful can happen that builds on anything from any other part of the game and that's just the majority of what's happening and that's definitely impacts like Nashadar and Onderon and all these other well, yeah so what it means is that you solve every planet by resolving whatever dispute has happening and then you meet the sith uh or not the sith the jedi master and the jedi master is like oh i'm glad you sought us out i'm surprised to see you alive again and then you're like can you tell me what happened at the enclave and they're like well i could tell you but you have to assemble all of us so we could agree that it's best to tell you so we can tell you and then you're like but i need to know what happened and they're like no sorry can't do that but i can teach you a lightsaber technique and then they teach you a lightsaber technique and you move on to the next planet like Three times this happens because the fourth Jedi Master in a sudden twist is just dead. Just dead. Just fucking owned. Just completely dead. Now, which, like, isn't resolved in an interesting way. It literally just feels like they didn't, they're like, we need, we can't write a fourth Jedi Master. Just kill them off. Write it out. Yeah, because Korriban is such a tiny planet. Yep. Korriban, it was like a really evocative, weird thing in the first game. And we talked about it at length. But in this game, it is like... Uh, one it's like two dungeons and a boss fight and there's nothing there and there's like some weird there's like a bunch of like force of visions that you have that are trying to be very evocative but what it actually is is you walk into a room and then characters from the last game like look at each other and you're like oh i this is apparently one of my memories of when i was in the last game as a character and then nothing happens that's literally the entirety of your force visions there's a bit where like everyone yells apathy is death at you and that's pretty good <laughs> it's not good it's terrible i hate Korriban. Uh I th- I think I want to talk about Korriban though because like it definitely brings up th- not just our reaction to this game but like our relation to Star Wars because when we played Korriban in the first game we were like it's evocative and cool but also it's stupid it's fucking stupid the Sith can't hold together for more than two seconds they have the stupidest rules it's dumb it's just oh, ridiculous the, the, the idea that like the only way for students to succeed in your school that requires there to be like a stock of students is for them to murder each other which is clearly unsustainable past six months which is a, which is like a hilarious reaction to have but then you play this game which says yes and then they all murdered each other and died because it's clearly unsustainable and suddenly like that you have to commit to the stupidity of star wars because otherwise what are you doing making a star wars game like yes they made a fucking universe where the villains are have to murder each other for no reason and apparently that's sustainable and that's how they've been for thousands of thousands of years but once you undercut that and say this is stupid like it is but like loving that dumb premise that we've just lived with for 30 years it's kind of inherent to making a star wars game and so turning the sith into just this unsustainable dead world because of course they couldn't sustain anything because they're just useless it just feels like oh i guess that is what would happen huh but it doesn't feel like satisfying to see it borne out yeah um my main complaint with this game uh and there's things i actually really like about this game but on the whole i think i prefer kotor one because in being a game that tries to like undermine the underpinnings of star wars i think they overshot and just made a game that doesn't really feel like star wars like Mm -hmm. You can have as many lightsabers as you want, and believe me, my party was all rocking lightsabers <laughs> by the end of this game. And we'll get to that when we talk about party members, because there's a very dumb aspect to your party in this game. Um, but 
everything about it like neglects to remember that Star Wars came out of adventure serials and has to always feel like an adventure serial. Even the prequels, which are boring, incomprehensible political drama, are boring, incomprehensible political drama because it's through the lens of 1930s serials, where like the good guys are like, oh, we're just going to be heroic and save the day. And democracy falls apart anyway because the plot requires it too. Yeah. Like the prequels don't work, not like in spite of being what they are but like because of trying to do the thing that they are trying to do through still being star wars and i think it's possible to like bring nuance into star wars through like the the clone wars tv show is the most explicitly adventure serialness of star wars in like a long like the, that fucking newsreel guy that begins every episode it's amazing yeah newsreel episode like they literally have like a godzilla episode where a giant monster is stomping the chorus on and it still happens to be like the best most like richly characterized most nuanced star wars thing that's ever existed yeah but it like completely commits to the idea of what um star wars is uh whereas um kotor 2 like not only subverts it a lot i feel like it's core premise like when you get to the motivation of the villain its core premise is like not something that is supported by the rest of star wars at the end of the day one of the things that at the end one of the things that bothers me and it's like such a trivial thing is that everyone refers to the events of the first game as the jedi civil war yes because to like the guy who's just a smuggler or like a gangster on Nar Shaddaa, it doesn't matter that like the Sith were building this like fleet in the Star Forge and were fighting the remnants of the Jedi Order that was like dwindling on Dantooine. It's just Force users fighting Force users and who cares because it doesn't matter to folks in the normal day today. And that's true. But the minute you say that, everything Star Wars falls apart. Mm-hmm. Like Star Wars has to operate on the premise where the thing everyone cares about, even in like a game in a in like a stupid movie like Rogue like or like a movie that's not about that stuff like Rogue One, where like everyone's like grounded and gritty. Like there has to be the moment where the Force user guy, who like the Force monk who believes in the Force, even though everyone else like oh, the Force uses the Force and it's cool and everyone's like oh my god I can't believe they use the Force or where she like gives the impassioned speech and everyone's going off to die and she's like may the Force be with us and then everybody fucking dies because they still believe in the Force but it doesn't change anything and that's like really important to Star Wars to me yeah no I feel like Rogue One spe- I didn't know if we were going to go into this tangent but Rogue One specifically like it's recontextualizing of what that means is very cool to me like in the Rogue One it like changes the idea of what like the force and what hope and belief is in star wars universe to be like oh no all this stuff happened because all these people sacrificed themselves for this belief not because it was like willed by some external force uh but it still like believes in the fact that like they are given power through this like the you know rightness of the thing they are doing in well, yeah, a very it, it, serial it, way it turns it turns the force back into faith instead of like dumb midichlorian like factual powers bullshit mm-hmm <laughs> Like, fundamentally, in a game that's all about, like, I can persuade someone or force persuade them with my magical powers, the force isn't special in the way that it is where it's like, it's a thing we believe in that might be guiding our actions, and we achieve those actions at great sacrifice, and maybe that's the force, and maybe that's just our will, and that's, like, an important aspect of, like, a religious faith in in a fictional story, which is what the force was supposed to be. So one of the things we talked about in uh, the Heather segment, um, which I want to get to now, is, like, the way... KOTOR 2 approaches the Force uh, compared to almost every other Star Wars thing is the in KOTOR 2 the Force is canonically 100% a thing that exists. It has a will. It is controlling events. It is shaping destiny. Whereas uh, this is a thing that we talked about where the Force in other 
the Star Wars things, it's more internal. It like comes from the people themselves. Like the Force is less a thing being acted upon, but more like a physical morality of the universe manifested by people's like refusal to give in to darkness. Um, but Kodo 2 assumes like, no, the Force is this real thing that controls us and I hate it and I want to be free of it. And that is like Kraya's motivation for the whole game. Yeah. Uh, I, and so I just like, want to talk about like what you thought about that. So the, the the my problem with that is I don't think the force has ever been exhibited as actually being that in all yeah. of the rest of Star Wars. That's my point. Is that the thing that feels very localized to this game? Yeah. Which, it, but the problem is if your whole underpinning of like I'm going to take down Star Wars by showing the dark side of the like the not the capital dark capital side dark side but like the dark the dark underbelly of the force but you use a version of the force that isn't representative of the rest of star wars you're not actually critiquing anything that existed before Mm -hmm. like the problem with the problem with kotor 2 like fundamentally for me is it feels like a weird straw man argument against a thing that doesn't exist like star wars is dumb but not for the reasons that kotor presents (laughs) yeah uh i would agree um so one of the things I want to do before we talk about like the actual like story beats that are like at the end of the plot, I want to go through our party members like okay. we do with every RPG and talk about our reactions to them. Okay. Um, so we will just go uh, in order. Let me pull up my list of characters that I had. About to piss off all of our Twitter feed with these takes. Uh, so uh, we will start with uh, Karth Marth of this game, Adon Rand. <laughs> <laughs> the Karth Marth. Fuck you. <laughs> Adam's do you not remember? Do you not remember that line from our first Kotor episode? It's, it's all coming back. <laughs> it's all coming back. Uh, Adam's great. I'm pro Adam. Uh, Adam as like the um, Han Solo type, Karth type, like th- that guy, shitty dude who's in your party. But that being awesome, like front for feelings that you bring out through the Force, and you know. It's really cool. I like Adam quite a bit. I think he works really well. He's one of the much stronger party members in the game. So, like, the thing with Adam is that Adam was, like, an op- he was, like, an assassin for the Sith during the Civil War, and he was off hunting Jedi, and he doesn't want to reveal that to you until you get the influence to just, like, have him spill it. <laughs> it's great. He's like, I will never tell anyone. I must protect my secret. And the game builds, like, multiple scenes around, like, Kraya knowing and but, saying you will never but, be, your truth must be hidden, murderer. And then you pass an influence checker. He's like, it's okay, I did it, I did it, I'm sorry. Yeah, but since but since I'm, I was a light side aligned character by the second planet, he was spilling everything. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, and uh, one th- like one of the things that we'll talk about with all these characters, Atten can become a Jedi. Most of these characters can become Jedi. Like you find out that they're either they were Jedi or Sith, or they they are secretly Force sensitive, and you can bring out the Force in them. And we'll talk about why when we get to like the Exile and her plot, but. It's one of the aspects of the game I don't like where everybody is secretly Jedi, even though the game tries to justify it. Uh, I wish the world was more, I wish the game was more interested in like exploring aspects of Star Wars instead of being all about the force all the time, because it does underline that whole like thing. This is about the an idea of the force that is like totally incongruous to the rest of Star Wars to me. 
that said in uh in atom's plot i think it, you get some of the most like actual star warsy forceness like yes. the idea of this sith uh or sith aligned assassin who is going along with these uh like murders because he's incredibly good at putting up emotional walls and the idea of like a jedi sacrificing themselves because they like see the good in him and that festers for like years until you are able to convince him to like embrace those parts of himself is like actually the most you earnest know, star the thing, wars the, plot they have one of the things with Atten that I think is interesting is like Atten has this ability like the game literally calls it what Atten says he has a bad feeling about this he is seeing the future and maybe you should save because you're about to come across a boss fight or something and the reveal that like he's force sensitive like codifies the idea of luck in Star Wars as like a function of the force and I hate it I think it's dumb I have a bad feeling about this um and then we have Mira or Hanar Hanhar not Hanar Hanar is something (laughs) else those are very different things uh, these are your bounty hunter characters. If you're light aligned, you get Mira. She's a lady. And if you get uh, Hanhar, you get a uh, Wookiee. Uh, he's a Wookiee. Uh, he's dark side aligned. And uh, we both played light side characters. So we both got Mira. Um, Mira's boring. Yeah, Mira's boring. She's just a bounty hunter. Like, she's only interesting in relation to, like, her whole thing is that she, like, Hanhar owes her a life debt, and she won't collect on it because she's like, I don't want to own another person. That's weird. And Hanhar is enraged by this to the point where, like, he crosses the galaxy to try to murder her to free himself from life debt. Yep. Uh, And I think that's really interesting, but I don't, they don't do a lot with it. No, it just sets them up as, like, oh, you're going to fight these two as each other a bunch. Yep. You have Baudur, who is... Uh, Baudur is a Zabrak engineer. Zabraks are the thing Darth Maul is. Uh, but oh, right. he, this is your he, reaction to that. But he doesn't have the painted face, so he's just like a dude with like the like lines and the horns. And he is he was he was an engineer who helped design uh, like this this mass gravity device. I don't remember what it's called exactly. Um, during during before the game in the in the events of Kotor One that are not shown in Kotor One, the Exile had Baudur design this mass generator device that like killed thousands of people on Malakor Mal, yeah it's Malakor Five right yes Malakor Five yes on Malakor Five and Baudur like was so horrified that he had created basically like a nuclear weapon in Star Wars that he like went and became like this soft-spoken traumatized engineer on this backwater planet trying to like repair things and like redeem the himself for all the bad he had done. Uh, but he looks like Darth Maul without face paint. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. I like Baodor a lot. Uh, I think he's a very cool character. I think that there's something about the way that this game works that because of the like design of the voice acting, because of the fact that it's just kind of seen spliced together and not properly timed like conversations. Well, also uh, before you, like the thing with Baudur is of all of the voice actors, Baudur the most sounds like someone on the team. They just got to do a voice. Well, it just sounds like. Uh, thank you, General. I will be doing this shortly. I, I've thought a lot about what we. Like, but like 50% more scared every time he says a line. Like he, the voice actor sounds like he has stage fright recording his lines. (laughs) It's weird because he just sounds like what if the aliens from Galaxy Quest were actually normal humans with normal voices? (laughs) (laughs) And I really like the idea of soft-spoken, like, you know, sad, regretful fucking space Otacon. uh, And as Darth Maul apparently because that's the plot of this game uh but the, the performance just the way it's implemented into the game it comes off as creepy more often than not so he doesn't like 
I like the idea of him more than I like the execution of the game, I guess. I, I think I would like this character more if they had done the thing that was originally planned where this character dies before the end of the game. Because <laughs> at the end of the game, Bowder's entire send-off is being a hologram that talks to one of the droids because it's he's supposed to have sacrificed himself during a mission to like the HK factory. Because in this game, you're plagued by these HK robots the entire game. And you were that was supposed to pay off in like you going to the factory and discovering that they were like after you for a reason and you were going to shut them down, blah, blah, blah. None of this happens, so none of it matters. Uh but it's instead, a huge he just plot. Kind of, he just kind of disappears. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't just disappear. Like the end of the game is such a fucking like. There is nothing. There is no tissue. Like you go to the final planet, and there's no like. Oh, we've got to do this. It just cuts to you on the ground as like a. So there's scenes where everyone gets together, and they're like, "All right, we're at the final boss. We're going to do this." And but he's some just characters just aren't there. Yeah, Malakor is not there either. Or Mandalore, sorry. Mandalore's not there. He's not mentioned at the end of the game. I, yep. That's why I forgot he was a party member because I yeah, had no. him on the planet that he was like around, and then he, he was he was also again. supposed to nebulously die in the HK factory. I think. Oh, I can't. It's fucking game. God damn. <laughs> so uh, then, uh, your next characters are Brianna or McCall, who are if you're male, you get Brianna, or if you're female, you get McCall, who are just Jedi characters who are supposed to be like the hot love interest. I guess I don't know. I never interacted with McCall because he comes up and he's like, I'm the disciple. I was here scavenging this Jedi library for information about the Jedi. And I'm like, you're boring. Get on the ship. And I never talked to him again. I talked to him quite a lot. And you're telling me that that's meant to be like a fucking love plot? I think so. Oh, gross. Because the, because the the alternative, if you play like the uh, the fe- the male character, is you get one of the handmaidens from the, uh, from the Jedi Temple on Telos. Okay. Who's like, I've been in- enclaved in this icy place forever. And I'm like a cute lady who can't use the force, but you could teach me how to fight. Uh, and he's like the the alternative of that. And that's clearly meant to be like the fucking like oh, hot lady love interest. I hate and it. so a bunch of dudes designing the like hot dude love interest. And they just made the most like vanilla man that has ever existed. That sucks because like he's the most like he is a baby. You come up to him and he's like, oh, I read about you. I want you to be my like. I, I never learned the Force because I was set on you being my master, and then you left, and so I couldn't learn the Force. So I turned away from the Force. But now I'm here, and we can maybe right these wrongs. And like, there are some interesting aspects about his character, like the fact that he doesn't have the Force, but was like really close to the Jedi and believes that like archival and keeping these details and stories around is actually the most important thing long term for the galaxy. Mm. But the fact that that's all meant to be like, oh, you're oh, this hot guy that we are meant to be, f- you know, across the universe makes a lot of sense as to why I feel like there are certain parts where they don't dive into that for some reason. That's so dumb. I didn't realize that's what they, what they were doing. That's yeah. stupid. God. Because I really my, liked him. My oh. actual favorite thing about the disciple, because I never talked to him, is every time I got on the ship, there was a cutscene that made it seem like Kreia was about to murder him for no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. There is a bunch of uh, cutscenes with Kreia like examining the the party members. We're, no, it's always like Kreia like being like a horror villain. Like everyone's like, I hear a voice, and Kreia's behind them. And because the game doesn't have the ability to holster your weapon, and Kreia just had like a sword that I gave her because I didn't use her ever. Like she's just walking around the ship like menacing people with holding a giant sword the entire time. And I'm like, are you gonna stab this guy? And no, she just vanishes every single time. It's like the weirdest thing. It's very strange. Right, we need to go through these party members so we can get. At the end of the game yeah yeah no 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 i know so we have virus mar who is uh 
Miraluka, uh, which means that she's like a blind person who sees with the force and so she wears a veil. She is the apprentice of Darth Nihilus, who is the, the guy on the cover with the mask. Um, he is one of the three Sith Lords in the game. Uh, Visus is like one of my favorite characters in this game. I think she's super cool. Like she's sent by Nihilus to come like bring you to him and the minute she like meets you, she's like, yeah, like he was like a, like a weird evil master, but you are also like a cool Jedi master. I'm just going to learn with you too. Like, it doesn't matter to me whether or not the character is light side aligned or dark side aligned. I just want to learn about the force and I'm going to do it through you. Well, no, and... the, the thing that happens with her is that she comes to fight you and you just oh, sure. own the hell out of her. And she's like, oh, you've proven your strength. Now I belong to you. And you're like, whoa, you don't belong to anyone. I'm a light side character. Uh, but, and then you but go this, through that. Whole but I, I like the idea that like, a, this dark uh, Jedi character, like, because she trained under Darth Nihilus, who's, like, just a, like, vacuum for Force energy, the minute she finds, like, a, another person who is strong in the Force, she's like, I'm just going to sit under your wisdom tree, whether or not you're good or bad, is, like, really interesting to me. Is like, her idea of learning the Force is to just eat up as much knowledge as possible. It doesn't matter where it comes from. <laughs> uh, which is a great, like, this is what happens when, like, the, like, like, the idea of force gluttony trains you to be a Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's T3. Who's your astromech droid. He's great. Um, the thing with T3 is that T3 was like Revan's droid. And so there's a lot of like stuff around like T3 knows all this stuff that they can't tell you. And they've, it's like voice printed and locked and you can't, actually navigate the Ebon Hawk to where it used to be before the plot of the game because all that stuff's hidden away in T3's computer and you don't have access to it. And T3's given a lot of like he's given a lot of things that T3 says that the other characters react to that implies that T3 is like this super complicated character but it's always played off as like weird comedy because it's just like the droid beeps for 30 seconds. Yep. Like the thing with T3 is that because he's Revan's droid, uh, he's never gone like undergone a personality reset or a memory wipe since yep. the events of the first game. So he like actually has a personality and memories and friends and people who care for him and people he cares for. So then they just leave it at that because it's Star Wars and you can never actually deal with the droids. <laughs> so one of the things that really bothers me about this game, uh, when I knew Chris Avalon wrote a Star Wars game, the thing I was really excited for was the idea that maybe. Chris Avalon would tackle the droid problem with Star Wars, where the droids are clearly sentient beings, but everyone treats them like like chattel slaves because nobody cares, and it's never addressed in any Star Wars media. And what actually happens is that instead of doing that, he goes in the other direction, where every droid scene is like the broadest comedy. Yep. And I like I get why you make that choice when you aren't like probably aren't allowed to talk about the thing you want to talk about, but I kind of hate it. Well, it's not even that you aren't allowed to talk about the thing you want to talk about. It's because they're droids. They don't have the force. Like, they don't relate to the central theme of yep. the game. No, that's true, too. That's true, too. Um, and then you, uh, you, the other droid character is Goto, who is originally presented to you as, like, the, like, secret shadow broker gangster on uh, Nar Shadda that you need to find and talk to. And you go up to, Nar like, the yacht that Goto's on, and it's like a hologram of this guy who's talking to you. And he's like, oh, I've planned all this. I need to keep the Republic together, and I need you to be my avatar of change to do that, because I can't. And then when you get back on your ship, uh, you get a hologram that's brought by this, like, interrogation droid from A New Hope, like the little ball droid with, like, needles on it and stuff and it, he's uh, the hologram's like please use this my like adjunct like as my extension of my power to observe and help you with anything you might need and when you talk to goto through the course of the game you find out that 
the droid itself is Goto, who was like this droid that was tasked with two things. Preserve the stability of the Republic and follow all the rules of the Republic and couldn't figure out how to make both those things work. And so had to like use the back channels of like the natural like black market and gangster activities of the galaxy to get itself into your hands because you can be an agent of change that it can't be because of its droid programming, which is the closest this game does to doing anything interesting with droids. But because it's a side character who mostly otherwise sucks because he mostly just says evil things and like the most like evil doctor kind of like robot. He Dr. does Spazzo have a voice. Ridiculous... <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, like at the end of the game, when he's talking to Bowder's remote droid, he's like, you and me can sit here on the edge of the galaxy and watch as all of the equations lead to the eventual destruction of all of us. And it's like, I don't, you're so goofy. I do not care about anything here. Yep. <laughs> and then the third droid is HK-47, beautiful baby boy from the first game. Here, basically because everybody liked him in the first game, it seems like. And you have to, like, work to, like, piece him together because he's just, like, in the closet of the Ebonhawk in pieces. And you have to go find pieces across the galaxy. And then you build him and he's like, oh, I was uh, I was with Revan, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I... that's not why he's here. He's here because he builds up to a very crucial, important plot point that they cut out of the video game. Yes, there's that, too. Because <laughs> uh, HK-47 is, like, furious at the idea that there are other HK droids that are out around that aren't as cool as him. He's like, this is out of front to everything. I, we have to go exterminate them. Um, one of the weird things in this game is that you can buy a pacifism module for HK-47 that, like basically like prevents him from being an assassin droid and he just complains about it a lot <laughs> um but he's mostly he's literally like the joke character in this game mm-hmm. uh and then you have mandalore the preserver the leader of the mandalorians that exist on duxon duxon i don't know how D- you pronounce it okay duxon is like this jungle planet near Onderon, and uh oh it's a moon sorry it's not a moon it's a space station oh fuck off <laughs> I have not said a single Star Wars quote this entire episode. Okay, and if you compare true. that to episode 50. <laughs> I guess we have been extremely restrained. There's a lot to talk about this game. So you find out in the course of like talking to this guy that he is Kandorus, who is like the mercenary guy from the first game, who like is still kind of serving Revan's will because Revan gave everybody a bunch of dumb like decrees before Revan fucked off to deep space. You find that out either over the course of talking to people so you like have enough influence, or just at some point people start calling him Kandorus and you're like, what? All yeah, right. that's what happened. That's what happened to me. As I got to the end of the game and everyone started calling Candorus, I'm like, wait, Candorus? What? Yep. Uh, Very silly. Which leads us to Kreia and the uh, which brings us to the exile, I guess, which brings us to the actual plot of this game. Kreia, you meet very early on, and you're like you wake up in like you're like amnesia and you wake up in the sick bay and Kreia's there is like a in the morgue is like a dead body. And when you go and get like equipment out of the morgue, she sits up and is like, Oh, you, we have a weird force bond. And you have a weird force bond where like, if she's, if one of you suffers pain, the other one feels it. That's, and like, if she dies, you die, blah, blah, blah. That's not true. What happens is she's in the morgue and you start picking things up and she sits up and goes, eh, stealing things from the dead. I see like in an RPG, what a monster. <laughs> yes, I know. But it quickly is revealed that you have this dumb force bond. That means that you, can't fucking murder her, which is all I really wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. I have never, I have never, in all of playing video games, disliked a party member as much as I hate Kreia. 
And like, so big twist. It's basically, she spent the entire game. Every time you do anything, she's like, "You should not have done that. You are re- you are rejecting the true ways of the force." Which she does, whether you go light or dark. She is like true neutrality is the only way. Even though her supposed aim is to manipulate you, even you know, because it is revealed that she is the third Sith Lord. Well, that is revealed earlier, but it's revealed that she's still acting as that Sith Lord uh, and wants to kill you for reasons that we'll get into in a minute. Um, but it, she just spent the entire game just being shitty to you, being so obviously the villain. And I'm really glad that they actually went, you know, because this is a version of this game where she's just shitty to you throughout, right? And she does, isn't well, actually the villain. But... And in a game that was like, in a game that was not, like, I I have major problems with the way this game's written. But if this game was worse written, uh, she, like, her whole point would be like a thing that was like tacitly implied as like the right choice. When, like her neutrality yeah. her neutrality would be given a validity that the game clearly like like factually textually objects to well, uh that's the weird thing with this game is that creator is like the mouthpiece for the game's like critique and philosophy but it also like comes like almost too late because of how much it spends just going into every single point this uh character has it comes down to the idea that no she is the wrongest you could possibly be about everything yeah but then like what does that mean for all of her critiques of like the nature of the star wars universe it's like are all those bad too like it's my deep ambivalence towards like the what this game is saying about star wars is like a universe comes from this divide where like it says all this stuff doesn't commit to any of it and it doesn't actually reflect star wars at all and the things it does want to say that could like stick it backs away from in the text of the game because i don't because it maybe it's because of the ending being rushed maybe it's because of just inherent problems with the game but after all these critiques and after kreia becomes the villain when you have to like challenge her and basically go against this person who's been dominating the worldview of the game and call them wrong and that's the that's the big climax uh, which i like on some level i respect that as an idea as like a this very arrogant ballsy move to literally have the mouthpiece that you've been talking to the entire game be just completely wrong about everything uh but they don't there's nothing it doesn't feel you're like at the end that you are reaffirming like the actual morality of star wars it doesn't feel like you're defeating her morality with your own it doesn't the game doesn't like go past those critiques and set forward like no this is our like actual thesis of what we think it just leaves them there and then you don't them like like basically she gives up because you beat the boss fight and the game's over yeah uh, so let, I want I want to talk very explicitly about the plot yes. of the exile, and then Let's you can get, get the into thing. what that means. So I'm just going to lay it all out for you. So okay. the exile was one of Revan's uh, like chief lieutenants or whatever in the Sith Civil War, and you helped Baudur create the mass whatever generator that killed thousands and thousands of people. And the like feeling of them all dying around you was so traumatic that it like sever you severed your connection to the Force through like an instinctual reaction. But in doing so, you like created a wound in the force which is like this null space where like the force cannot be felt by anyone in that space um which is why like malachor 5 is so fucked up because it's like this place where this horrible force accident happened and that idea is like spread it can be spread throughout the galaxy and what kreia wants to aim to do is like spread this disconnect from the force through the galaxy by like causing your death and like opening the wound even further because kreia believes the force is like this thing that oppresses everyone's life by locking it into this pattern that she wants to destroy. Anyway, you find all the Jedi and you're like, why did you take the force from me? And they reveal that, no, that that's not what happened. You severed your own force connection through means they don't understand because of that trauma. And your force powers you've been gaining are because 
you have this natural influence, which is why you are one of Revan's great lieutenants, that you collect force users to you or force sensitive people and like basically like as you will them to like go to your side, you like gain some of their power, like siphon it off. And so you've gained all these force powers because of your party members all becoming force attuned because they were drawn to you for because they were force attuned. And thus you're like this weird, like poison or not necessarily poison, but you're like this great, like mental influencer. You're like a Jedi mind trick as a living being. And everyone is like bent to your will by just existing. And, uh, like Kreia knew that and uh, it's implied that like Candorus knew that and stuff. And that's why they're like sticking around, even though they're not like Candorus isn't force sensitive. He's like one of the few characters who's not a droid who doesn't have the force. And he's only there because like goddamn Revan said, stick around this lady. Something might happen. Um, and anyway, uh, Kreia comes in and nukes the Jedi order and is like, no, I have to kill you because now I have to puncture the force and do all the things I just said. And instead you like go and fight her and you stop her by saying, no, the game has to end pop properly and not with my death because the force can't die because this is Star Wars. And then all of your force sensitive party members become the new Jedi Order in the fiction beyond this game. That's not actually covered in the game much because this game doesn't have a real ending. The end. Oh, yep. also, you talk to Karth because you, you've you seen Karth in a bunch of holograms and you meet Karth right before the end of the game and Karth's like, Revan went off to fight the actual Sith Lords that, that are out in the outer darkness because the Sith Lords that are here are apparently just like a paltry shadow of the real Sith menace that exists outside the galaxy and Revan saw it and had to go fight it. And you're if you're like a light side character, you're like, yes, let's sign me up. I'm going to go on my ship and go out to the outer darkness and find Revan and fight the Force or the Sith monsters. And uh, that's really it. And it's dumb and bad. It's the fucking ending of Prometheus is what it is. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I joke about it being like the end of Mass Effect, but yes. No, that's the feeling I was left with. Come on. Like, so I guess we'll go. There's a, a lot just happened there. Uh, I really, really like that scene on Dantooine where you talk to the Jedi Order, and it's it's a really cool scene. Like it cuts between the ship and and it cuts between these Jedi giving the monologue, and then the reactions of all your party members and Kray are like waiting outside. Um, and then she goes in and like rips the Force from all these Jedi, and the Jedi are unable to cope and so die. Uh, and like the the like implicit text of that scene or explicit text of that scene is like you are a like they say you like bend everyone to your will the universe basically centers around you and will like continue to do so if you're allowed to exist which is a very clear critique of rpg protagonists like yes the universe does center around you because it was written for you because it's a video game yeah uh, um, one of uh, one of the things that I talked about uh, to you was this remi like reminds me of like a very early draft of the kind of stuff Persona Four is about, where yes. your character, like your character and the villain of that of that game, are like shown as having very similar power sets to like be able to use every persona and to influence the will of others. And the difference is you have a support system of friends that you pull to, and they do not, and thus that like makes them psychotic and evil. And that's the only difference. You're still like manipulating people through social links with giving people the right answers to boost your power to be able to fight the person who just has the power by being like isolated and alone. Uh, and that's kind of what this game feels like also, but in similar ways, it doesn't actually like lead to any conclusions about the nature of RPGs it just lays out like a postmodern read on them without like doing any extra work, which is fine, I guess in 2004, but in 2017, I feel like we need, I, I wanted another step. I still want another step. I don't think any games really taken the next step. 
Well, I felt very disappointed by the very end of the game because I thought it was setting up all this stuff to like get to the next step, like to actually get to its like response to its critiques, right? Because it, it's a yeah, like, game about I, these critiques. And I I really think it's just like the first time explicitly the game like a game has laid out the postmodern argument for RPG protagonists. Like it, it, I think that's yeah. what the thing people. I think that's why people like this game. Like we'll probably get to it when we get deeper in, but I think the reason people like this game is it's the first time they'd ever been presented with this idea. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. Like in two thousand and four, especially if you hadn't like played the PC RPGs, and this was just an Xbox game. Like you'd played uh, Kotor, and I don't know if JB Empire had come out by then, but like that kind of those kind of games, and then you're presented with this very specific like critique of the genre that is aware of how these things work. It, it is. It's like super, the super powerful moment. But I spent the entire because that that's like two hours before the end of the game, at least, and that's not including fighting. Um, so I spent the entire time waiting for like, okay, where is this going? What is this actually going to conclude to? And it just kind of doesn't. You just kind of kill Kraya and head off to the to fight the unknown Sith power in the darkness, and and that's it. Um, which is a shame because I actually feel like the more powerful part of the scene, at least now that I don't feel like the metatextual stuff like resonates that hard, is there's a moment where they are talking about okay why you this is a feeling that every single person on malachor felt and every single other jedi felt it and were compelled to go over to the dark side as a response like that is why they are terrified of it because it turns good people evil basically except your response was to turn away entirely and reject like reject even being able to be like aware of it as a sensation like it implies that your character just did nothing for 10 years and just wandered the wastes because yeah. of how disconnected from humanity you are and there's a line where she bows down and goes why are you and it was because you were afraid and that game it doesn't spend any more much time on that read but the idea of a game about like uh ptsd and like the wounds of like trauma is a thing that is like in the background of so much of the ideas of the game like all the planets are touched by war all the yeah, parties no, like, are touched by the, war the reason the reason the jedi masters are on the planets they're on hiding is because each of those planets has been devastated by the civil war so there's like there's like the shadow of trauma in the force which means the sith can't locate them there yeah, and the game like ends on Malachi Five, which is but, the, the actual source of all this, and it never the, the, it never goes anywhere. The thing, the thing with the Sith or the Jedi Masters is like that's presented to you, but each of the Jedi Masters is just the biggest fucking Ken doll who's like there to be like, "Hello, I am one of the Jedi Masters. I will tell you more when you assemble all of us. Here is your it's Force true. power. Goodbye." And like the idea that these are like the last remnants of like the actual goddamn fucking Jedi Order, and that that means something in this universe. And they have, like, they all fled to these places and are, like, afraid and, like, isolated. And, like, this is their last hope to, like, ever survive the Sith, like, infiltration that is coming is ridiculous. Like, it doesn't actually present any of that. It just gives you that as, like, a fact that happened. And it never actually shows any of it through the storytelling or the characters. Yeah. Yep. I agree. There's so many, like, missed potentials and, like, really cool ideas that never cohere. Like, I think the uh, the PTSD, like, tr legacy of trauma wound uh, read is... It's 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 ever present but never like brought to the surface yeah it's not it's not even presented as like the thing the game is about until right before the end yeah and then like, like you go to malico you go to like the source of all this like basically this like despair of the galaxy and there's a way in which this game ends in a very existential like very deeply sad way and it, it like it 
it reaches for that in its tone in its writing i feel like the ending coasts on the fact that these are like chris avalon and his team are extremely good writers at like saying very evocative things that feel like they're building to something and then when that snaps and the credits roll and it wasn't building to anything you're like oh they don't like the game is so a shambles at that point they didn't even have the budget for like a slideshow of where your party members ended up like literally in the final conversation with Kreia before she dies, you you can ask her for her forced visions of where your party ends up in the future, and she'll tell you the endings yep. of these characters because they didn't have anywhere else to put it. They could record a couple lines, and that's it. And then, like, you fight her, she dies, the planet blows up because you set a bunch of charges, and then you and Adden go fuck off into the outer darkness. That's literally it. Like, he's like, oh, let's go on our space date now. And you're like, yeah, sure, Adden, let's go. And it's dumb. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think Adam being there is like one of the only cool parts of that scene. Like, you turn around, and Adam's like standing on the wall, like the biggest dork I've ever seen in my life. Like, hey, you gonna go kill some Sith? Going my way, lady? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, I think it's weird. My problem with that is like early on in your conversations with Adam, there's like this idea that he might like. There's a question whether or not Adam's in love with you or Adam just like feels a force connection to you because of Adam's force sensitivity and like that's like. In your conversations with Adam, you can basically, like, insist that that feeling is, like, just a teacher-student relationship and, like, enforce that. And then, like, at the end of the game, it still presents him as, like, he's your fucking love interest. Yeah, it's really weird. And I hate that. Because the exile... If if there's ever a character in a game that is clearly not meant to have romantic subplots, it's the fucking exile in KOTOR 2. Yep. The exile is as Volcel as they come. Yep. Do you have anything else to say about KOTOR 2, Jackson? Hmm. I'm glad I played it. It got recommended to me so strongly for so long. Uh, I think it's like a victim of the reputation it has. Uh, Like, if you just go in going, oh, I want another KOTOR game, and I just want some Star Wars, and you, like, haven't been exposed to other games of this genre or other star wars things that like if you literally just watch the prequel movies and you're like i want to play a star wars game in 2004 like this fucking thing is going to blow your minds like it's crazy uh but it didn't like do that much for me in the end i thought there were some really cool moments where they're all very disconnected and it's a victim of both what i feel are like aims that are ultimately like juvenile and not really worth like worth aiming for and also the fact that they weren't able to finish it Yep. So that's my take. Uh, I so I think in the last episode I talked about how much I don't consider myself someone who likes Star Wars, even though I talk about it a lot. And I think this game made me just reckon with the fact that I actually like Star Wars because the thing I don't like about this game is that it doesn't feel like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It says things about a space universe that very much resembles Star Wars and everything, like, detail-wise, but misses entirely the point of the appeal of that universe. As dumb as it is, as hokey as the Force is, as stupid as space wizards are, it, you need to have that stuff and the kind of morality that those kind of stories reflect to have a thing that, like, reads a Star Wars to me. And the fact that this doesn't means that it's a, it's like a lot of fan theory about a universe that isn't actually the textual read of the thing people like. Like, if you're going to critique something, critique the thing people like, not your idea of the thing people like. And to me, this reads like Chris Avalon didn't like Star Wars, was given a Star Wars game, did a lot of research and still relied upon his assumptions of what Star Wars was from before that research, before he made the goddamn game. 
you know, it's, uh, yeah, because it, it, it definitely, like, when you get recommended that game, you're like, oh, the Force is dumb. You, you the, the Force is dumb. The Jedi are dumb. The Star Wars is dumb a lot of the time. And then someone says, oh, play KOTOR 2. It's super aware of all that stuff. And you get the thing that you think you want, and you're like, shit, I didn't want this at all. <laughs> yeah, no. I want only a sp- Sith speaks in absolutes. Obi-Wan explained absolutely. <laughs> I want to, how did this happen with smarter than this? Yeah, no, like what I want is Revenge of the Sith because Revenge of the Sith is on accident actually the perfect critique of everything dumb about Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Anakin Skywalker murders a room full of children and three movies later, Luke Skywalker tells his sister, there's still good in him, I know it. Does Luke know? I hope not. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna cut like a flashback of when Luke asleep to him like he hears the lightsaber go on and then you cut to him waking up. <laughs> <laughs> Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really glad I played Kotor. There's things I like about it. It's a game that I really didn't like while I was playing it, and in like the two weeks since I played it, I'm much kinder towards it. Like it's a game that will sit in my memory as like it wasn't great. But there are things I I enjoyed about it. I much prefer KOTOR 1. I think it's a better game. And I think the storytelling is generally... It it is not as ambitious, but it is a much better story being told with that limited ambition. And I think if you're going to play one of these, that's probably the one to play. If you just want to play a Star Wars RPG. Um, Don't play the Old Republic, apparently. Because if you want more Revan, it's going to fuck with that. Well, apparently Uh, the actual game itself with its individual stories is very cool. But the Revan stuff and what it does to... The oh sure the Sith but, masters are in the outer republic and the outer way i remember i remember when they were announcing that game and they're like it's don't worry everyone who wanted kotor 3 it's like kotor 3 4 and 5 put together and it's not it's not that one of the expansions brought back revan and it sounds insufferable um we are not going to play that we our journey stops here we are done with star wars games for the foreseeable future that's Mind it kotor 2 only money, only money. <laughs> Early money. Yeah, you do meet a Toydarian in this game. You do do that. You meet multiple Toydarians. Yep. I just think of the one on Arshadah. That's like just like where the three like docks are or whatever. Yep. yep. Video games. Yep. Dubious Cannon, my favorite pod racer. <laughs> we can't like reference secret group DMs that no one has ever seen. Just because you really like the joke in one of them. Uh, whatever. You regularly get numbers off of Ben Quadraneros of all fucking people. <laughs> Look, Everyone's favorite pod racer, to be fair. but You are gonna tell me that there are people who follow us on Twitter who are also equally as big fans of Ben Quadraneros. He's, he's like the most beautiful boy. <laughs> you act surprised. Oh, I can't believe you get numbers on Twitter of Ben Quadraneros. Oh, like, I know. Twitter, Twitter isn't the website where Ben Quadraneros fans hang out. we need to end this fucking podcast holy shit alright that's the end of the segment please enjoy we'll be back for our last segment after some music Sorry to say, friends, this is our final segment of this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the (laughs) 
fucking <laughs> two hours of bullshit that we have provided for you. Oh, I think this is going to be a nightmare because Why? I don't know what. I feel like the first segment, the the, the our interview with uh, Heather relies on you knowing what happens in code. We might want to put that last that segment before this one. No, we're not gonna. All right. People can just be confused and roll it back. I don't know. It's complicated. Sometimes podcasts are messy, and if it's the wrong choice, I'm sorry. But this is the choice I'm making. This podcast is still more finished than Kotor 2. Yeah, no, exactly. Just consider it the Sith Lord's content restoration pack. That's the segment with Heather. If anyone fucking responds to me posting this podcast telling me that did I play with the mod, I'm going to quit Twitter forever. We don't really have any questions. If you wanted to send us questions or comments, anything at all, podcastabnormalmapping.com. We will answer everything. Um, next month, we asked someone for a suggestion on for Patreon. Uh, if you donate up to $5 on patreon.com slash normalmapping, you can suggest a game. Someone suggested Else Should I, and we put it to a vote with a game that we were planning to do originally, which was Devil May Cry from 2001, and people voted for Devil May Cry. We are going to do Else Should I at some point. We're going to figure out how that is going to be done, in like what context, uh... But I really would like to do that as a game. It's a very good choice. Uh, and we'll do that at some point. But next month is Devil May Cry. You can get that on your PS3 as a download. Or you can get the collection. You can just have, if you have the PS2 disc, I guess. Is that all that game came out on? Uh, yeah, it's on PS3, P 360, and uh, PS2. Oh, is, I didn't know if that HD collection came out on 360. It did, yep. It's on 360. Oh, I have it on cool. both. Oh, nice. I only have the PS3 copy. I had moved on by them. Um yep. So look forward to that. Uh, we chose that because of meta mapping, which you can find uh, in the feed, which we did our first meta mapping, which is us revisiting an old episode, we which we gotten... talked about. Oh yeah. What? Uh, we, I... In which we talked about DMC Devil May Cry. We have one coming up in two weeks. We'll be doing them every mid month from now on until we're caught up. We got good feedback about meta mapping, which is good because I felt very anxious about re-releasing that, but people seem to enjoy the like weird time capsule awkwardness of it. Yeah, we will be doing a much more enjoyable listenable episode next time yes so. much later in the run yeah uh it'll be a good time uh outside of that you can find us at all the places again patreon.com slash mapping uh jackson talk about your many other podcasts that i am not on uh we are wait oh right there's two right this is two uh recently we brought back the goof zone with me and destiny the mental health podcast that i very much enjoy recording all the time doesn't make me too depressed at all but i do that for you patreon backers uh it's good it's a, it's a good podcast it gets real but it's uh, it's good fun people find it very helpful it's uh, like it's like destiny's therapy if you're exposed to traumatic events over and over again eventually you'll become desensitized to them yep uh it's a good podcast people like it a lot as like a people who also have mental health fun uh enjoy the like camaraderie it brings and that's our goal if you want the exact opposite of that and want to have trauma exposed to you then i recommend <laughs> uh the coheed and cambria podcast the amory score in which me and molly rhinebeck go through track by track through the discography of coheed and cambria and tell that bullshit story it's a good fun time everyone seems to enjoy us imparting nonsense lore to people do you want just the worst lore imaginable as someone who has never listened to a Coheed and Cambria song, really, aside from probably, I probably like heard them, but like you've, never noticed. You've probably played Welcome Home yeah. Rock Band. Um, listening to that podcast is delight. It is funny. It is amazing. It is the dumbest thing on our network, and I love it very much. I'm glad you do it. I 
I cannot believe you like this band. The fact that you and Molly still like Kuwait and Cambria is unfathomable to me. We haven't one, got to because, the good albums yet. One, the plot is all bad. And two, fucking Claudio's voice is the worst thing in the world. All his music sounds the same. I hate it so much. You're, look, we're only on the first album. In Keeping Secrets and Good Apollo 1 are like the classic albums that everyone recognizes as really great pieces of music. So shut your fucking face. Are Claudio singing on them? It's probably bad then. <laughs> yes, Claudio continues to sing on them. His voice gets a bit lower. It doesn't stay that high for long. Okay, good. Fucking whiny, piss baby, man pain bullshit. I hate it. But it's funny. You should listen to it. Even if you don't <laughs> like Coding Cambria. I hate Coding Cambria. I think it's a great podcast. So, General Mayo Deftonwolf. <laughs> I need mayo. <laughs> I need mayo. <laughs> If that's not your bullshit, we have a Star Trek podcast, Second Officer Slog, you can listen to. It's me and Jackson every month going through a Star Trek book, talking about it, talking about some episodes. We are doing an all Troy Riker episode next time with Imzadi from Peter David and some episodes of Next Gen you can watch on Netflix. Check it out. It's going to be our most like beginner-friendly podcast that we do because everything else is about the DS9 relaunch and is there a lot of lore. There will be no DS9 spoilers. Come along. Come yeah, no, it'll just, it'll just be Troy and Riker all the time. Remember that time in the movie where she shaved his beard and it sucks? Yes. Yes, I do. Yep. That's it. Jackson, you're on Twitter. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Jackson, you're on Twitter. <laughs> and my head falls off on Twitter. That's where you can find me and my bullshit. You can find me at EM underscore being on Twitter. That's it. You know where to go. Please recommend this podcast, any of our other shows to your friends plug all of our stuff go to the youtube channel watch the videos i don't know whatever you do we exist thanks to you thanks so much everybody for all of your support through all of this time that's it we're done Time to do the things I like Gonna see a princess, everything's alright Oh, no job but an answer to Ain't a fixture in the palace zoo No, and since the carbonite's off me I'm living life now that I'm free, yeah Told me get myself together Now I got myself together Now I made it through the weather Better days are gonna get better I'm so happy the carbonite is gone Misunderstood Back in the game Who knew I would Oh So flat time I spread my wings Loving myself Makes me wanna sing No Oh yeah 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 Told me get my act together Now I got my act together Yeah Now I made it through the weather Better days are gonna get better I'm so